Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles open then to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Last time we were together, we only, we only studied the first few verses of 2 Kings 20 in the life of Hezekiah as he comes to the final moments, or at least what he perceives are the final moments of his life. And because in our last study, the night that we had that study was dedicated in our culture to celebrating a a twisted form of death in many ways, we stopped and really looked at what the Bible has to say about death and how death is an enemy, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ, he has overcome sin and death in our lives. And so we can have confidence that our last breath on earth will lead in whatever millimeter millisecond of instantaneous presence being in the presence of God to our next breath in heaven. And so now we come to the life of Hezekiah here in chapter 20, and it says in verse 1, in those days Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I've walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. So over about a hundred-year period in the history of Judah, Hezekiah the king was really the only faithful, one of the most faithful kings that they had. And what a difference that he made. It's because of Hezekiah's faith and relationship to God and his willingness to obey his life of dependence and obedience, God used him to eliminate idolatry and to clean up the idolatry and bring back true worship. And as a result, God chose to deliver Judah from Assyria because God will bless us through godly leaders. Uh, it's, it's one of those motivators, you know, our, our prime, primary motivator in serving God is to please God and to bring him glory and honor. And what moves us on a practical level is his love for us and our love for him. But listen, we also have another motive, and that is through good godly leadership, good and great things can come to people's lives. Like God will really use a human being that is leading well to bring great change into people's lives. And that's what's happening here with Hezekiah. No, he wasn't a perfect king. And even in the final days of his life, he's not a perfect king. But God doesn't use perfect people because there are no perfect people. So God only uses imperfect people like you and me. The Bible would even go even farther than that, doesn't it? And Paul would write, Paul the Apostle would write to the church in the city of Corinth, and he would say, and I'll paraphrase, this is the Ed Taylor paraphrase, look at you guys, and look who God has chosen, the foolish things of the world. Why? To confound the wise. So so that not many of us come from some great background and not many of us come from some great godly heritage and not many of us come from this solid, perfect family. Not, Not many, some, but not many. But yet God still, no matter our defects, no matter what we bring to the table, it doesn't matter to God. He's gonna choose the foolish things of the world so 
when people see that God uses us, it will inspire them. They go, you know what, man, if God can use that guy, then there's hope for me. Because I look at my own life, and I look at my background, and I look where I have came from, and it gives us hope, because God only uses imperfect people. Hezekiah was imperfect, and yet God used him greatly. And I know at times, not only do you see your imperfections, and maybe even magnify them, but I know at times you might feel like you're all alone, standing for what is right, and what is good, and what is upright and righteous. I know you might feel like the odd one out, where it seems that everyone around you, your family, your friends, everyone at work, people you're connected to, maybe even believers, maybe folks you even go to church with, seem to make you feel odd because of your godly choices and your unwillingness to compromise. And it's an unfortunate feeling. But you're not alone. God is with you. He is for you. And as you choose God, he chooses you. Even Elijah was there. He was in that place of feeling alone. I mean, when you think of a man like Elijah, we studied not too long ago, I mean, this brother was used in a huge way. Great victory. And yet, with just a few words, he runs away. And through the challenge, his heart was revealed. And in 1 Kings 19, remember, Elijah said, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And he's running away afraid and scared. He, he is expressing emotions like what he was doing wasn't worth it. That what he was doing got him in trouble. And, you know, God, why am I doing this anyway? Everybody's turned against me. I haven't found another believer. Nobody cares. And I feel alone. But remember, you Bible students, you remember God's response. God told him in verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. There are a lot of people following God like you are, even if you feel alone. There are a lot of people choosing in the secret parts of their hearts to follow God with an uncompromising way. And you're not alone, even though you may feel that way. You know, as you survey human history and the followers of God, you'll notice that God has never been without a human witness on the earth. Never. There has never been a time when there wasn't someone on the earth or a small group on the earth. We often refer to that. You might hear this word being used. It's referred to in the Bible as a remnant, a very small group, that while all of the world's going to, in chaos and everyone's turning their back on God, and, and even in seasons of history, there'll be those that are so bold to write a book or write a blog or have some television show and boldly proclaim, not, to all, not only to us, but in God's face, there is no God. God, make sure you know there is no God. Which atheism doesn't make much sense, does it? I don't believe in a God that exists, that doesn't exist, because he has to exist in order for me not to believe in him. It doesn't make any sense. And so there's always a generation, and it seems like you're outnumbered. As you survey your own life, it feels like you're outnumbered, and you feel like you're alone. But the truth is, is there's a lot more people following God than you even realize. They're reserved, God said, and they are strong. And so what does he say? He doesn't say to Elijah, go find them, go connect with them, go, go be with them so you can be encouraged and you can feel like you're a part of something larger than yourself, Elijah. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Elijah, get back to work. Elijah, step forward. 
Again, Ed Taylor paraphrase, you will not find that in the Bible. That is the emphasis of the scriptures. Elijah, do what you've been called to do. That's where your strength will be. God has and always will have those that are dedicated to him. And even if I don't see them, although I do, and even if I don't feel like it, and I don't feel like they're there, I just, I trust God that God is doing a work in other people's lives, and if there's anyone that's going to be faithful on the earth, let it be me, my life. Let it be me, no matter what comes my way, that God would be able to use me, and I would be a faithful one. You know, with Elijah, Elijah was running away. He wasn't facing up to the issues that were before him. And one of the questions that God asked Elijah was, when he comes and he runs away to the cave, you remember God asked him, what are you doing? Where are you, Elijah? And he wasn't asking from the perspective of, I don't know what's happening. He wasn't asking because God lacked knowledge. But he was asking Elijah, he says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Because it's a good question to ask the person that's running away from their responsibilities, running away from their accountability, running away from the Lord, perhaps. I was just mentioning today, thinking of a person that we've been praying for that seems to be running away quite frequently. And the strange thing is, is that everywhere that person runs, when they finally stop, you know who they find? Themselves. They're always, you're always going to run into yourself when you try to run away from your problems. And the thing about yourself is you take your problems with you. I remember when the kids were growing up, when the boys were working, they would come home and they would tell me about a certain boss or a certain situation. They'd go, oh, I don't want to work here anymore. I can't stand the so-and-so, and it's such and such, and I think I'll go work somewhere else. And I'm like, well, if that's how you want to solve it, you want to go work somewhere else, you go work somewhere else. But I just want you to know your boss is going to be there too. Like the same person's there, different name, same boss. Because it's not the boss that's really the issue right now. It's what, what is God wanting to teach you in this situation? What is he wanting to work through in your life? And so it's never wise to run away. You will never be able to run away from your problems. And every time you have an ear toward God, you're going to hear this from God. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And may the Lord give us the answer. May we find ourselves in a place of saying, I am here, God, by your will. You put me here. You wanted me here, and I'm going to draw on your strength and your resources to persevere here. And so here Hezekiah now, as we come to Hezekiah, he's not alone. Even though at times his leadership seems so different than all the other kings before him and after him, he was a strong, good, godly king, and yet he comes to a place here in verse 1, it says, where he's facing death, which is going to be true for each one of us at some time in our lives. We will all face death, and only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Jesus Christ will last. Only what's invested in eternity will outlast us. Hezekiah comes to this place, notice it says, back in chapter 20, it says, in those days, in those days. Which days were these? Well, these were the days of victory. These were the days of strength. These were the days of God's faithfulness in his life. In some of the best days of Hezekiah's life, in some of the best days he's ever experienced, he got sick and was close to death. You know, it reminds me that even in times where the Lord's blessing 
and where you're making progress and great things are happening, godly men and godly women are not immune to sickness and disease. We all face it. Sometimes God will even use that sickness in in our lives for his great glory. Every one of us is going to face death, dying of our last sickness. And I love what happened here with Hezekiah in verse, at the end of verse 1, he was given very good advice. Set your house in order. Set your house in order. These are wise words as we learned last time we were together. You don't, please don't wait until you become very ill, church, to put your house in order. Would you please do it now? Would you please put things into a will? Will you please, if you need to, set up a trust? Will you please get the medical directives and the power of attorneys done now? Please don't wait till it's too late or where you're unable to do it. Do it now. And there was never more of an urgency for me to do this in all my ministry until after what happened with my son. And watching what happened to my son without the right paperwork in order and the kind of division that was created and the difficulties that were there. Listen, I can't tell you strong enough. Just, just Ed Taylor, just me, your friend. Get your house in order in the paperwork realm. Hey, get your house in order in the spiritual realm. Take care of what's necessary in the spiritual realm. Remember when judgment comes, judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord. And so I believe this is an, 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 an encouragement to Hezekiah, a command to Hezekiah to get every facet of his life in order, to be ready, to set things up for after you're gone. Don't just leave it to everyone after you're gone. It's much more difficult that way. Trust me. It's much more difficult if things aren't set up with what you think and what you want now. Set your house in order because none of us really expect to get sick and ill. None of us expect to die. And so what do we do? We put things off. And may the Lord grant us the strength to no longer put off those things that need to be done today. We don't have forever. So let's get things in order spiritually. Let's get things in order relationally. Let's get things in order legally where necessary so that those that are around us can get our full attention and get things in order. Sometimes even some people put off getting their relationship with God. They keep putting it off and putting it off. And God will send yet another pastor into your life like he is right now saying, it's time to get your house in order. What have you done to forgive your sin? What are you currently doing in your life today in preparing yourself to meet your maker? How are you covering and removing the pain and penalty of your sin from your life? Well, you know what? Maybe next week. Maybe next month. You know, I'm a person that likes to learn. I'm a person that likes to study. I'm a person that likes more information. So when I think I have the right information, then I'll make a decision. But the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that this is the time, that it's not necessary that you have a theological understanding of all the different nuances of every single word in the Bible, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic. And like some of you are like, What? The Bible, Aramaic, Greek, what is all? Yeah, you don't even need to understand that. Although, now you know, the Bible was written in three languages. Old Testament, 
Hebrew, and a portion in Aramaic. New Testament was written in Greek. But that doesn't save you. Owning a Bible doesn't save you. It's maybe getting you closer than not having a Bible, but here's what saves. Jesus said, Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And that tells you and me, because even the guy that was asking this question, he was a very smart religious man, a person we would call today a pastor or even a priest. He was a high level, super smart, dedicated his life to studying the Bible all day, every day for the, his entire life. And yet in his, inside of him, the emptiness of his life caused him to come to Jesus and say, I, I, I know you're a good man, but I, 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 I don't understand and the answer from Jesus was, look, you got to be born again. And so what was his response? His response was, do I need to climb back into my mother's womb? Because he was only think of it in relationship to the conversation. But Jesus was speaking to his heart and saying, what you're asking, you are not able to perform. What you're asking me about is not within your ability he was saying to this religious leader, like he's saying to you today, you cannot do anything in your life to take away the pain and the guilt and the penalty of the sin of your life. You can do nothing. It would be like you climbing back into your mother's womb. It's impossible. It's not possible. It, you, you, it is not humanly possible to be born again from your mother as an adult or any other age. And so Jesus was speaking not to a physical birth, but to a spiritual birth. So that the forgiveness of sins only comes from God and not from man, not from church, not from a pastor. But the big barrier between you and God is not that forgiveness is available. That's not really the big barrier. The big barrier between you and God is your unwillingness to admit that you've sinned. Not that you've made mistakes. I met a lot of people that say, oh, I made mistakes, Ed. I'm not a perfect person. I make mistakes all the time. I know it sounds a little bit nicer when you say you make mistakes, doesn't it? Because after all, we all make mistakes. If I put a bumper sticker out uh, that said, we're all making mistakes, it would sell out. Of course, we all make mistakes. But what you call mistakes, the Bible calls sin. And sin is not merely a mistake. It is not merely a moral failure. It is an affront to the holiness and perfection and righteousness of God. So that little lie that you told someone that you go, ha ha, it was just a little lie. Well, maybe that, that friend that you lied to forgave you, but did you ask God for, your, for his forgiveness for that lie? God didn't create you to lie. And you go, what do you mean, Ed? Well, think about it this way. Have you ever had a relationship that was broken because someone lied to you? They were dishonest to you? Think for a moment how that made you feel. You gave them your trust. You entrusted your life to them. You entrusted your money to them. You entrusted perhaps even in a personal relationship. And yet, because of their dishonesty, the friendship, the relationship's broken off. It's a very painful thing, lies. 
They're not just little lies. They're not just white lies. They're not, it's a painful thing to be lied to. It's a painful thing to have trust broken. And it's a painful thing to have that happen over and over and over again. Now listen, your entire life has been painful to the God who loves you. It pains God. Think of it. It pains God that you refuse to live in relationship with him. It moves him emotionally. So much so that the Bible would tell us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, and that's a pretty big word, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God brought you to listening to this moment in time in this section of the Bible so you would hear, get your house in order. It's within your reach that God, he loved you so much that he's invited you and me into relationship to forgive you of your sins, to remove the pain and penalty. It's more than getting things done legally and it's more than getting things done relationally. To get your house in order is to no longer tragically delay getting your, getting your life and your, your life in right relationship with God. Because here, I've never met a person, to my recollection, who has accepted Jesus Christ that regretted that decision. <laughs> that looked back, oh, you know, of all the things I've done in life, I really regret being a believer in Jesus Christ. I haven't met the person. I think we've all met folks, though, along the way that have regretted the fact that they waited so long to surrender their lives. I've met a few that were saved much later in life. And we praise God for that. It's never too late. But when you begin to speak with them, they regret that, they're, that they, didn't believe in thing, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ earlier. That it wasn't as a youth or they didn't believe in high school because you can look back and you go, you know, if I was just following the Lord back then, I would have avoided that pain. And if I was just living for Jesus, then I wouldn't have gone into that. I wouldn't have caused so much pain to other people. I wouldn't have been so suicidal. I wouldn't have felt like I was, you know, you, you can look back and you go, man, I, I wish I would have got saved earlier. I, I wish I would have, man, I could have avoided so much. And you know, it's a loaded question, really, when somebody asks you, if you can go back in anything in life, would you change anything? It's really a loaded question because the answer is yes and no. Because the, the way the question goes, well, you know, if you change something in the past, you wouldn't be living today. Well, listen, I would love to change a lot in my past and still end up where I am today. So that's always my answer. So of course I, wouldn't, I would want to avoid the sin. Of course I want to avoid hurting people. Of course I want to avoid the time that I was, of course. And yet at the same time, I recognize that God used all those things and worked them together for the good. But which one of us, if we choose to look back far enough, have a few regrets that if we were just saved a little bit earlier, things might be different. And so it's not one of those philosophical questions here. It's simply I've met people that wish they were saved earlier in life. A year, two, five, ten, twenty. How many marriages would still be together? How many people would still be, how many families would be raising their kids in the ways of the Lord, but the people foolishly put off the most important thing in their lives, not getting their house in order. 
And Hezekiah here was told to prepare as a king. Get ready and get things in order so that when you're not here, things will continue on to honor God. And so in verse 2, he prays. He's crying out, reminding God, thinking of the things that where he honored him. He wept bitterly, verse 4. When it happened, then it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add to your days 15 years. And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And then Isaiah said, Take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So whatever his sickness was, boils, it was unto death, He was given a very practical way to heal it with these figs, and God heard his prayer. And you know, this is what we expect every time we pray for healing. We expect God to answer it. We we would love to have this written in our lives. I just prayed for a dear saint after first service this last weekend who's in a wheelchair suffering from a great disease, a very progressive disease, and when we prayed for her, we prayed by faith. I prayed that God would touch her. I prayed that God would heal her. And there are many that we're praying for in our church today. That when we pray for them by name, you get the emails as well where we have our prayer chain here and you pray for them. We pray by faith. We pray that God would work. We hope the best. And in this case, God did heal. And he did bring about an additional 15 more years of life. Now, you Bible students, if you want to jot it down, uh, when, if, you want to, if, if you want to look it up later, Isaiah chapter 38, we have insight into Hezekiah's prayer. And Isaiah writes it down for us. And and he wrote it down so he might remember it. Um, But God's answer to Hezekiah began with a note that he heard our prayer. That to me is just encouraging. God hears your prayers. I know it feels like he doesn't sometimes, but he hears your prayers. And he answers them according to his will. As we learned recently, uh, the whole purpose of prayer is to learn obedience. And obedience to what? Not my will, but your will be done. And God's working that out in our lives. And we don't like it. Anybody want to say amen to that? I don't like it. Now, if anybody does like it, can I just talk to you after service? I want to know what it is that causes you to enjoy the process. The process isn't always fun, but the result is always glorious. The process of waiting and waiting and waiting is a developing in our lives. God does a work on the inside. And it's interesting how God heals. He did it with this mixture of figs. They put it on the boil in verse 7, and he recovered. You know, God does heal today. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 14, Is any among you sick? You should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make them well. You know, God does use the medical profession to heal. Thank God for the wisdom he's given men and women in the medical profession, in science. I mean, there's just some really smart people that God has given wisdom on how to heal and how to, how to use different topics and different pills and different things to bring healing. We praise God for that. God doesn't have to use medicine, but he can. God could just heal without this fig stuff. He could just say, Hezekiah, you're good. But God does use sometimes medicine to bring healing. 
He does sometimes bring surgery and, and the wisdom that he's given to men and women in the medical profession and the research, you know, and just, just to think that there are people, maybe not for the glory of God today, but many of them are for the glory, but to think that there are people on the planet today that have dedicated their entire lives to finding cures to diseases. I just commend them and just pray that that heart of mercy would be connected with God and they would see that God is the great healer. And that what they're finding is just in line with what God has already created. <laughs> it's not man gets the credit, but God, but I'm just so grateful. And how much more when we are wanting to serve people to glorify God. What a great motive just to bring healing, uh, to help bring healing. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's like, I, again, remembering when my kids were younger, when they were down with a fever, you know, the heart of a dad, you just lay over them and you're just like, you know, God, just give me their fever. I'll take it. To see them so miserable. You know, and they're so hot and they're so miserable and they're just, and just like, God, I'll take it. Just relieve them from this. You know, if a mom or a dad could feel about, like that about their own kid, how about the love of our Heavenly Father who wants to bring strength and healing and help and hope into our lives? It's a beautiful thing. So they use this fig thing um, to bring healing to his boils. <laughs> I don't know, I just thought that was funny. You're just sick with a boil. Let's not be guilty, church, of trying to make God be confined to one method or one way. And let God do what he wants to do. God is not confined to our methods. He's not confined to our thinking. He's not confined to our only options. Perhaps today you're coming to God and you have a problem. You have a difficulty. Perhaps you even have a sickness. And you come to God today and you say, okay, God, I'm asking for this healing. I'm asking for this help. And I want you to do it, well, one of two ways. You can do it this way. That would be really cool. That would be really awesome. That's the way I prefer. Or you can do it this way. Uh, you know, it's not the way I'd want it, but I like the end result. Well, what if God wants to do it a totally different way? And while you're waiting for your little options, God has resources that we don't know anything about. When they were going to feed the thousands, Jesus, he asked the question to, to see, what, what, what are you going to do? We've got all these thousands of people. Go get us, somebody, get us some food. And his response is, well, we, could, we could never. I can't do this. And yet it was just a test to draw out faith from him because the Bible says that he already knew what he was going to do. God already knows what he's going to do in our lives. And we should be open for whatever method he wants to use. Well, notice in verse 8 it says, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do, to, do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees, but no, let the shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down on the sundial of Ahaz. So Hezekiah wants a sign as confirmation and the Lord gives it to him. This shadow that was sent supernaturally went backwards 10 degrees. And so the sun would go down but the shadow would naturally get longer but here it becomes shorter and God miraculously worked and gave him the sign. And I know there are times we're so desperate we're just like, Lord, would you give me a sign? Would you just show me something? Would you show me favor? God doesn't always do that, but listen, sometimes he does. <laughs> That's pretty cool. 
Sometimes he does. I mean, his presence is enough for us, but knowing the weakness of who we are, sometimes God will just meet us where we're at to comfort us. Sometimes he does. It might not be that big of a sign, and it may not be as large as you would like, but there are those times where God just reminds us, I'm here with you, son. It's going to be okay. And I mean, this is a pretty big one, this supernatural movement of the sun, but the shadow, it would get shorter. Verse 12, and at at that time, Baradoc Baladon, the son of Baladon, the king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. Uh Uh-oh. Mark that. Verse 14, Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, what did these men say and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, they came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that's in your house and with what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. And he said, will there not be peace and truth in these, at least in my days? Well, Hezekiah has a serious health scare. He weeps bitterly, cries out desperately. God answers, gives him the solution, the the ointment with figs, gives him a sign on top of that, and he's not desperate anymore. And he gets these letters from the king of Babylon, and he entertains them. What a major mistake. You see, even though Hezekiah is in a great place, a place of healing, a place of hope, the enemy of his soul is still at work, coming after him. He came both to deceive and devour Hezekiah. And this time he comes in the form of letters. Not unfamiliar to Hezekiah. Because we've learned in his life that he's had previous experience with letters, and what did he do? Laid him before the Lord and sought God. And now he gets these letters, and they're, they're, they're not so accusatory. They're more, you know, buttering him up, and, and are you okay, and can we come see you? And when they come, he shows them everything. What's the problem with that? Well, first of all, Everything he showed them belonged to the Lord. They weren't Hezekiah's. The kingdom wasn't Hezekiah's. The articles weren't Hezekiah's. Nothing in Hezekiah's possession was actually Hezekiah's. And you know the same is true for you and me. I've seen it happen many times. Difficulty brings desperation brings deliverance, brings a calm, brings a temptation, and a great fall. In this case, Hezekiah forgot his God so quickly. He forgot the last time that God came through for him. 
he forgot to recall that, yes, things need to be brought before God. He forgot that these letters which, which would have and should have prompted him to ask God for wisdom. And so these leaders come from Babylon and they see the wealth of Judah and they want to see it all. And I believe this pricked the pride of Hezekiah. He began to feel strong again. He began to see the kind of leader that he was. But he was the kind of leader that he was by the grace of God. I mean, most of the other leaders within the kingdom were horrible kings. Why was Hezekiah such a great king? The grace of God. It was God's faithfulness in his life. It wasn't his ability to rule, and it wasn't his strength, and it wasn't his smarts. It was God in his life. He sought first the kingdom of God, and God met him there. But then when these leaders come from Babylon, I believe his pride, he says, man, I'm a good leader. Maybe even thinking I'm a better leader. And he was nothing apart by the, from the grace of God. And when you forget, and when I forget, that I am nothing apart from the grace of God, that, my friend, is the beginning of the end. Nothing good will come from that thought. Nothing good will come, especially in that mind when somebody comes to butter you up, when all they want to do is check you out. And that's what happened. And Hezekiah showed him everything. Do you know, we know now, Hezekiah could have found out if he prayed, but Babylon, these leaders, they only had two main goals. Number one, they wanted to find out how strong the kingdom was. It was, it was a reconnaissance trip. They're, they're setting them up to take, take them captive. They wanted to find out how strong the kingdom was, number one, and number two, they wanted to try to draw Hezekiah into some kind of unity with them. But Hezekiah didn't seek God, and he was fooled. Not unlike Joshua, when the Gibeonites came to him, where they lied to him and showed false, rotten food to him, and he didn't seek God. And the Gibeonites were a thorn in his flesh. And yet he gave, Hezekiah gives them a grand tour of everything. We don't have time to develop this. Perhaps I'll develop a study in the future, but this speaks to the value of confidentiality among the brethren. Confidentiality is of utmost importance within the church of Jesus Christ. It should be better, you know, some, some of you guys will work in the medical field and you know what HIPAA has done to everything and how you gotta sign everything away and they won't tell you anything about anything about anything unless you have all, those pay, all that paperwork. Like, the confidentiality should be better than our U.S. government's approach to healthcare. But it's not. The church is known as gossips. The church is known as slanderers. The church is known as whisperers. Oh yeah, sometimes it comes out in flowery prayers. Sometimes it starts, dear God, we pray for so-and-so today. You know what a rotten creep he is and what he did and how he lied. You know, no, no, listen, confidentiality. Hezekiah should have kept the wealth of his country confidential. He, they knew he was a great king. And the things that belong to the Lord belong to the Lord. And perhaps God really needs to reaffirm and you need to be receiving from God tonight your need to keep things in confidence. You break someone's trust, it's almost impossible to win it back. And trust is really all we have in relating to other people. 
And I have to say, when someone comes into a church like this, hurting, broken, struggling, they come in with a little bit of trust, probably the last little bit that they've saved in their lives. The last little bit. Like a lot, even in our fellowship family, you know, sometimes, many times, this little fellowship family of ours is the last stop for someone before they completely turn their back on God. And we don't want to hurt them by taking advantage of their trust. We want to value that trust and protect them while we're pointing them to Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven. The last thing they need to, do, need to be is taken advantage of by having their trust broken. And I know in a room like this, this many people listening, people on the radio, what I just said really caused you to relive some pain that's related to a church. But praise God you've forgiven. Praise God you've moved forward. And praise God that you've got a, developed a new appreciation for confidence in your relationship to other people. And so on behalf of the church of Jesus Christ, of which I'm a part, I just want to publicly apologize and ask for your forgiveness for your confidence being broken. That is not the heart of God. And I would pray that if that's still an issue in your life, that you would forgive and allow the Holy Spirit to renew your spirit and give you the kind of strength so that someone like Hezekiah would protect that which belongs to God. Your trust belongs to God, not to me. And that it would be protected and guarded. Isaiah, he comes to um, Hezekiah after this. And it's too bad because Hezekiah should have met with Isaiah first, not after the fact. Hey, man, these guys from Babylon, I'm all healed. Isn't it great? These guys from Babylon want to come and see it and everything. I'm sure Isaiah would have said, no, we need to seek God. Who else have you ever shown everything to? Why would you do that, Hezekiah? Are you getting a little confident because you're healed now? Is that what it is? No. No, let's wait. And notice in verse 19, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. He's kind of relieved, but I don't think he understands yet what he did. It's just, hey, man, whatever, the re- whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And yet... That decision, the sinful decision that he make, according to verse 18, would affect his whole family and the kingdom. The rest of the acts of Hezekiah in verse 20, all his might, how he made a pool, the tunnel, brought the water into the city, um, which is the Hezekiah's tunnel that exists in Israel today. Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Hezekiah rested with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. If you want to read ahead, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 32, Uh, We'll get there eventually. We'll look at what happened in these 15 years because these extra 15 years were not good for Hezekiah. They didn't end well. The Lord has been showing long-suffering toward Hezekiah and the king didn't realize that another great trial was about to begin, a serious assault on Jerusalem. However, the king had learned some valuable lessons from his sickness and he learned his mishandling of the affair. He learned from his mistakes and how gracious it is of God to prepare us for what he has prepared for us, even if we make mistakes. Even when we, it's not even if, even when we, even when we make mistakes, God's grace is still sufficient to help us get back up. Though a man falls seven times, he will rise again. And so, Father, we thank you for this episode in Ezekiah's life, uh, to know that um, we can make mistakes by not bringing things before you, and So forgive us for our prayerlessness. 
Forgive us for, Lord, the um, lack of confidentiality that exists in the body of Christ, how we're talking about people and talking about things that shouldn't be talked about. Um, Lord, would you help us to keep the things that are private, private? Would you guard us from pride that might cause us to um, show off something that belongs to you? And if anything's to be showed off, it's not the, it's not the stuff, it's you. It's your work in our lives. That way you'll get all the credit. That way you'll receive all the honor. And so, Father, we pray that through the life of Hezekiah, we would grow tonight. We would learn. I pray for the sick, God, that are asking for a healing, requesting you to touch their bodies. Thank you for the doctors, the nurses, the scientists, the researchers, the men and women, believer and unbeliever alike, that have dedicated themselves to human health and helping human beings. I pray for the believing doctors and dentists and, and you know, those nurses and practitioners and physician assistants and paramedics and on and on it goes, EMTs, that you would guard their hearts, Lord, that it would not become hardened to human suffering and would not become hardened to the brokenness of humanity, especially believers, Lord, that they would just be sensitive to your spirit and strengthen them, Lord, as they have this compassion fatigue and and it's just so hard serving sick people all day, every day. You would just restore to them the joy of their salvation. You would just restore to them some of the first feelings they ever felt when they wanted to go into this profession. You would just restore to them a renewed sense of how you want to use them in a very unique way, in a very unique place. And that you would heal some of their hearts as they've seen their patients die. And they've seen the medical treatments not work. And it's just so discouraging and so hard Lord, that you would just keep our hearts soft as we continue to live this life, pleasing and honoring you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church. We'll sing this last song. And pastors will be up front here to pray with. And uh, I encourage you to do that. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, today is the day that you would just ask God to forgive you of your sins. That today you would admit the greatest barrier you would just knock down because you don't need some pastor pontificating to you about your sins you already know what they are so just admit them so i have failed you god i don't even understand all my failures but the ones i do i want to be in right relationship with you god i want to learn about you i don't want to know you from a distance i want to know you personally and the bible says if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. And that's just the deal. Every one of us needs to be saved. And the difference in this room, and the difference on the radio, and the difference online is that some of us have bowed the knee in humility before God admitting our failures. And God met us there. And others, for whatever reason, have just to this moment refused. And God is inviting you right now 
to humble yourself and ask God to forgive your sins. You can pray this prayer. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me. And I believe Jesus rose again from the dead and is alive right now to save my soul. I believe I've sinned against you, God, and I'm asking you to help me leave my sinful ways and thoughts behind. Father, I know anyone that would come to you, anyone that desires, even if they get the words wrong and they don't understand everything, that you've given them understanding about your love and you've given them understanding about their sin. And you said, anyone that comes to you, you won't cast them out. That that you won't push them away. And so for those that responded today, near and far, we hope it's the real deal and that their life will forever be changed, committed in serving you with what days they have left. And I pray one final thing, God, I just pray that we as a church family would get our house in order. That our pastoral team will get their house in order. That our lay leaders will get their house in order. That our servants will get their house in order. That our church, whether you've been here one day or 10 years, would get our house in order. And we need your help, but God, we want to be in order. We want to be moving forward so that we might be more usable in these last days, that we won't keep putting off what needs to be done today before it's too late. And so we receive that word from you tonight, that we would get our house in order. And so give us the strength and the wisdom of where you would have us to act first. And we're just thankful for your gentle word, but strong, how faithful you are in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.